right, good morning, good morning, good morning. Glad you guys are here today. Thanks for joining us. Um, special welcome to those of you who are visiting for the first time. We are so glad that you've joined us today. Thanks for, for uh, coming here and, and worshiping with us today. It's really a pleasure to have you here. A um, couple of uh, quick notes for those of you that this is your first time. I would encourage you to stop on your way out today uh, at the First Impressions uh, table, the, uh, the Welcome Center there. Uh, in the entryway, we've got a little gift, a little mug for you just uh, as a way to say thanks for coming. So make sure you pick that up on your way out. Um, as well, this is for all of us now. There should have been a program on your seat when you came in today. If you take just a second and pull that out, it's got some different announcements. It's got ways that you can stay connected with Ignite, sort of uh, be in the know. Uh, anything from over here, there's an opportunity to download the Ignite Church app. It's one of the best ways to keep informed of what's happening, that kind of stuff. But also, I want you to, to draw your attention to the communication card, which is like this flappy thing over here on the edge. If you take just a second, go ahead and rip that out. I love to hear the ripping sound. So go ahead and rip that out, take a second and fill that out. This is like kind of the primary way that we can hear back from you. And so uh, it's, it's a way, I mean, there's, there's opportunities on here to, to sign up for different things. There's opportunities for you to say, hey, if you want to process something with me or get to know me more, I'd love to, I love coffee, I love uh, desserts, and so we can set something up. I'd love to take you out for coffee or, or something like that. Get a chance to get to know you more. If I can help you on your spiritual journey at all, we'd love to do that. So there's an opportunity to, to sign up for that on here to kind of say, yeah, I'd be interested in, in, in grabbing coffee sometime. If you want some more specific information, you can check that on here. Um, and as well, if you have, uh, if there's something going on in your life these days that, that you would like some prayer for, um, I and we've got a team of people uh, go through those requests every week and we pray for them. And so we'd love to pray with you about whatever's happening in your life. And so there's an opportunity for that on here as well. But if you could take take a second, fill that out, and then you can drop it in the uh, offering bucket when it comes by later in the service, or you can even leave it on your seats uh, or whatever. We'll pick those up later and kind of follow up um, on those in the upcoming week. So, so good? Fair enough. A couple of quick announcements. Uh, they're also in your programs. Um, just to draw your attention to coming up, this is for women, uh, coming up this next Saturday, um, February 25th from 9.30 to 11, we've got something called Coffee Talk. It's kind of a light breakfast and some conversation and uh, some connection with others from um, Ignite Church, but also some great input from uh, author Erin Straza. She's just written a book called Comfort Detox, and so she's going to spend an hour and a half or whatever kind of investing in our women. And so if you are here and you would like to, to really grow some more in your walk with Christ, if you would like to connect with some other women from Ignite, I would so just strongly encourage you to sign up for that. Again, you can check that on your communication card. There's a box you can check to say, yes, I'm totally interested in coming. Maybe you want to bring a friend or a family member or something with you. We totally encourage you to do that. There's also a sign-up sheet um, at, the, at the, kind of the Welcome Center uh, on your way out if you want to sign up there as well. But it's going to be a great time. Uh, it's going to happen actually in that room right there. So there's going to be breakfast. There's going to be great connections and uh, some great input. So we strongly encourage you to attend uh, that as well. Um, one more thing. In two weeks, we've mentioned this, I don't know, sometime over the last month or so. But we've been working for actually months on uh, on this. We're going to be launching this new series and kind of a campaign throughout the church um, it's going to be kind of a 40-day journey that we're going to try and get the entire church to go through the book of Luke together. And so we've been writing our own uh, like daily readings and curriculums and questions just to kind of help spur you on. We're going to uh, make it so like five or ten minutes a day you can be reading through Luke. Luke uh, on Sunday mornings, we're going to be preaching out of the book of Luke that will go along with your readings. And even our growth groups are going to be going through material that we're writing specifically in the book of Luke. And so we're trying to just say, hey, what would happen? What I mean, imagine what God would do if we encountered Jesus in the pages of in the pages of this gospel, and uh, what might what might God do in us as we really spend forty days kind of focusing in on Him and who He is and what He wants to do in our lives? Imagine what He would do if we could really attune our ears to hear His words to us, both by through His uh, through His Word, His written Word, and through His Spirit. Imagine what God would do. We think it's going to be a transformational time uh, in our church's life, and so we want to encourage, we're trying to get everybody to go on the journey with us, and to want to encourage you to be here on Sundays, we want to encourage you to sign up for a growth group, we are going to kind of, we've had growth groups going um, the last six weeks, but those are all going to wrap up here in the next week or so, and then we're going to transition them into these Luke um, kind of growth groups, and so if you are not currently in a growth group and you'd like to come along for the ride, we've got sign-up sheets that are uh, on the uh, table out there as well. We encourage you to sign up, find find a 
a day and a time that works for you and, uh, and just join us for this experience. We think it's going to be pretty cool. It's also leading up to Easter, and so we'll be really preparing our hearts uh, to celebrate in a powerful and a fresh way. So it's going to be awesome. Uh, hope you can join us for the ride. Um, and so with that, we're going to transition into the message, and I've got a video to kind of get us started. Hey, Sahib. Kind of small, isn't he? Gonna look a lot smaller in a second, Georgie. He got five bucks, says he doesn't. talking about for the last three weeks, we said we want to we want to learn to experience the fullness of, the, of emotion that God created for us without allowing them to control us, without allowing these emotions to bankrupt and shipwreck and wreak havoc in our lives, in our jobs, in our relationships, and on and on. Today, of course, we're going to be talking about anger. And boy, I tell you what, I'm not sure there is any other emotion with quite the destructive power as anger. One author I read this week uh, pointed out that there is one letter difference between anger and danger. And I was like, yeah, that's a good point. And he, he, was, he was going on to say, but anger is a dangerous sort of emotion if not handled properly. It's like nitroglycerin. It's dangerous to you physically. It's dangerous to you emotionally, relationally, even spiritually. It's dangerous to our souls. We've got to learn how to handle, how to deal with it well, or it will hurt you. In our culture today, boy, I, I think what we see is we see that, the, 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 the video clip, right? We, we see that sort of expression of anger. We, we give permission to give full vent to our anger over and over. And every time I go on Facebook, my jaw drops these days as we just give full vent to our anger. And we call people horrible names and we make all kinds of, I mean, stereotypes and all kinds of, I mean, man, all kinds of things happen in the name of anger. Every time you turn on the news, boy, we see we see pictures of riots and hate and anger and people hurting each other and killing each, right, I mean, killing each other, literally, all because we can't get a handle on this thing called anger. Every time, uh, I mean, every time we turn virtually anywhere in our culture, we see this, this full vent, this full expression of anger with no reservation. And I'll tell you what, as a pastor even, I, I see it all the time, I hear about it all the time. 
in lives, in relationships, all kinds of things, right? People will, will come and they'll say, well, some, you know, so-and-so said something to me at work, and so I just, and they lost their job. Or I'll hear stories of husbands and wives. Well, they got angry, and one of them walked out. Sometimes people will get mad. Sometimes we'll get mad, right? Like, no, this never happens to other people, right? Like, it happens to us too, right? But sometimes we'll get mad, and we will say things, and the second it comes out of our mouth, man, you know you know you just stepped way over. You're like, oh, I wish I could get that back, but you can't. We will say and do horrible things sometimes in the name of anger just because we give full vent to it. It can do tremendous damage. It can cripple our relationships, and it can be explosive. Anger, if not used carefully, can cripple us. It can shipwreck so much in our lives. Like that clip from Seabiscuit. He fouled me, Tom. What am I supposed to do? He fouled me. He cut me off. As if the only response possible when somebody hurts us is to what? Hurt them back. And boy, has anybody else ever experienced that in their own lives? It's our natural reaction. It's our natural bet. We get rocked back and we're ready to roar, right? Come back at them. Anger, if we're not careful, can do tremendous damage to our lives, to our relationships. It can hijack our careers and do so much damage in our lives. I remember hearing one time, Alexander the Great, the great conqueror military man of the third century BC, in a fit of rage, he struck his top general. He hit him and he killed him. Guy happened to be his best friend as well. And Alexander the Great falls to the ground, realizing what has just happened. He falls to the ground and says, I've conquered the world, but I can't even conquer my own soul. I can't even, I can't even keep track of my own anger and my own emotions. I don't know, has anger ever gotten the better of you? The upper hand in your life? Have you ever said something or done something stupid because you were mad? I think for most of us, we may have to reach you know, way back in our memories to think of a time when we got angry, right? Way back to maybe today, right? <laughs> or yesterday or the day before. Uh, the stats would say not only do you and I get angry and not only do we sometimes give full vent to that anger, but it happens multiple times a week few random stats for you. The average guy gets angry six times a week on average. Six times a week. The average woman um, is two times better than us. Right? Only gets, loses her temper on average of three times a week. Women tend to get angry at people, while men are more likely to get angry at stuff. Like, your car quit working, so you beat the crap out of it or something, right? You kick in or you scream. The TV remote's not working or something. You know, guys tend to get angry at stuff. Single adults express anger twice as often as married couples. I thought that was interesting. I'm like, really? Interesting. Men, and this is no surprise, men are more physical with their anger than women are. You're more likely to express anger at home than you are anywhere else. We'll keep up the facade when we are out in public, but we get home with the people we love most, and that's where we'll, we'll, give, we'll let our anger come out in all of its Splendor, if I can use that term, right? In all of its ugliness, I guess, or whatever. But we will do that at home. The stats say that you and I experience anger and we give full vent to that anger regularly. We've all been angry. We've all been angry recently. And we've all done stupid things uh, and acted foolishly at times because we've let our anger get out of hand. And so today, I thought it might be good to speak practically on the subject of anger to talk a little bit about what it is and how to take control of our anger so our anger doesn't take control of us because we have all been there and man, regret is always quick to follow. So let's take a look from God's perspective at what he has to teach us, what he has to say about dealing with anger. Let me start out with just a couple of definitions of anger, of what it is. Anger, uh, one author said, is a response to injustice. It's your body's way of saying that something is not as it should be. Something is off. Some, maybe, maybe you or someone else has been wronged, has been sinned against, or you perceive that you have been wronged, right? And you respond by getting angry. Tim Keller says this. He says, anger is always the response to something you love 
being attacked or threatened. He goes on to talk about that even in the context of sometimes, uh, even though the emotion of anger is real, sometimes that also reveals idols, something that we love more than God, something that it, re it reflects what's real close to our hearts as well. But it's the response to something you love being attacked or threatened. Anger is not necessarily a bad emotion like we've talked about each week. Our emotions are God-given. In fact, Gary Chapman, one author, Christian author, says this. He says, anger is the evidence that we are made in God's image. It demonstrates that we still have some sort of concern for justice and righteousness in spite of our fallen nature. It reveals our concern for rightness and justice and fairness. Anger, rightly used, is, can be a really good thing. You might find that hard to believe. But anger is a desire at its core. It's a desire for impact. It's a desire for things to be different than they are. Martin Luther King, for instance, you think, do you think it would be safe to say that he was angry about racism and injustice in our world? Absolutely. He was angry about it, but rather than using that anger to go beat the heck out of people, he used it to change the world, right? He used it to peacefully protest and change the country that he was a part of at that time. Or I was thinking about Bono this week. Do you think it would be fair to say that Bono uh, is, was angry and has expressed anger over stupid poverty over the last decade or two around the world? Absolutely. As a result, he has worked tirelessly. He has built coalitions. He has sat down with world leaders and gotten tremendous amounts of debt forgiven by first world countries to, to parts of the world that need it most. He's, he has worked tirelessly to get food and medical supplies into the hands of the poorest of the poor in our world today. Anger is actually a God-given emotion. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It's what you do with it that makes it good or bad. I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but God, in, in the Bible, God actually gets angry and expresses anger in appropriate ways towards his people and towards others sometimes when, when they uh, go off in the wrong direction. 2 Kings 17, 18 is just one of many that we could look at. It says, so, it says, so the Lord was very angry with Israel, and he removed them from his presence. Only the tribe of Judah was left. God was angry with Israel. He was angry because they had abandoned him. He was angry because they had turned away from him and decided to follow other gods. They had cho chosen to go their own way rather than to follow their creator. And God was angry in an appropriate way. He allowed them to to feel that and to experience the consequences of their waywardness. Things were not as they should be, and God felt anger and expressed anger to his people. Jesus expressed anger, right? If we, if we flip to the New Testament, Jesus got angry, again, in healthy kinds of ways, but he, uh, usually towards those that are religious leaders and, and uh, religious people, people that had missed the heart of God and maybe substituted man-made rules and rituals for that Mark uh, is just one example of many. Mark 3, 1 through 5 says this. This is another time. Jesus went uh, to, into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, and so they watched him closely to see if he would heal somebody on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everybody. Then Jesus asked, him, asked the crowd, the people, the religious people, he says, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Jesus was angry. He was angry at the stubbornness of heart of these religious people, these people that didn't care about a guy who was suffering, that cared more about their, their man-made rules to see if Jesus would heal him on the Sabbath so that they could trap him. And Jesus was mad. Anger is not necessarily a bad thing. It depends on what we do with it. Listen to this, Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, it's sort of our, our theme verse for the day. It says this, it says, in your anger, what does that say? Do not sin. In your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry and don't give the devil a foothold. Now, the crazy part about the first part of that verse is apparently there's a way that we can be angry and yet not sin. There's also a way, and this is one we're probably more familiar with, there's also a way that we can be angry and, right? That one we're pretty 
comfortable with, that one we're pretty familiar with. We can be angry, we can give full vent to it, we can destroy people and do damage to our own hearts, our own relationships, and our own souls. But there is a way, the Bible says, a way that we can uh, express our anger in healthy and appropriate ways without stepping into that destructive pattern of sin. There's a right way and a wrong way to handle it. So the question quickly becomes, how can I handle my anger? Well, how can we handle our anger well so that it doesn't control us, so that it doesn't wreak havoc in our lives, so it doesn't do the damage of sin? So today I just want to look at four principles, again, real practical, uh, straight from God's book on how we can deal with our anger in appropriate healthy ways. Four things that we can do to kind of help walk in that balance and in that right uh, relationship with God even in the midst of our anger, kind of some wisdom of how to live this out. First one is this. It's not rocket science, but it's reflect before you react. It's sort of a, a, a delay of our reaction. Don't respond impulsively. Don't, don't just give full vent immediately, but hit the pause button for, for a second. Think it through first. Gain some perspective. Give yourself some time to choose the path of wisdom. Reflect before you react. Proverbs 12, 16, there's a ton of Proverbs uh, that deal with this, but it says this fools show their annoyance at once, at once, immediately. They give full vent to it right away, but the prudent, the wise, overlook an insult. One of the great remedies for anger can be delay, it can be to hit the pause button. The longer you hold on to your temper, the more possibility you have of being able to respond to your anger without sinning. If you let it off immediately, it will likely be bad news. <coughs> Reflect before you react. James, the brother of Jesus, puts it this way. He said, everybody should be quick to listen, right? Slow to speak and slow to, what does that say? Become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteous life that God desires. So you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Thomas Jefferson one time said, when you're angry, count to 10. If you're really angry, count to 100. If you're still angry, keep counting, he said, right? Gary Chapman, I referenced earlier, wrote, wrote a really good book on anger, and he, he puts it this way. He says, count to 1,000 before saying or doing anything when you're angry. He says, maybe count to 10,000 if you need it, but he says this. But in the process, don't just count, but ask yourself the question, why am I so angry? Why am I so angry? What's happening in my heart that's making me so angry? Remember, we said that anger is basically a desire for impact. It's something that you love is feeling attacked or threatened. It's not right. And so pause and ask yourself, what is it that feels like it's being attacked right now? What is it in my own soul? What is it that I love that's feeling attacked? What is it in my own heart that's going on? Try to figure out what that is. What do I need right now? What's going on in me? Is this really about anybody else other than me, or does it just have to do with me? If I'm really infuriated, the paper towel dispenser isn't working, could it be that there's something deeper going on? If I'm ready to beat the thing into the wall, could it be that this has less to do with the paper towel dispenser and maybe more to do with what's happening in my world right now, what's happening in my own heart? Could it be that there's something in my own soul that's feeling empty? Could it be a frustration about relationships or about work or about something else that is actually going on underneath the surface? If we can, if we can not just instantly go off, right, but we can pause a little bit and step back and gain some perspective, start asking those questions, we can oftentimes get to the root cause of what's really going on. I wonder how often I and you and all of us have probably played the part of the fool and we've gotten super angry. We have spouted off right away, shooting out our anger only to regret it later. That's the way of the fool, God says. Instead, he says, be wise. Reflect before you respond. Here's another one. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's wisdom yields patience as to one's glory to overlook an offense. Again, God says, reflect before you react. It's, he, he's not saying to just stuff it down or pretend that you're not angry. If you are angry, you can admit it freely. But instead of flying off the handle, instead of spouting off at anyone or anything that happens to be around, instead a wise person delays his or her action. They step back in patience and look at it. They try to gain God's perspective and wisdom. They pause and they say, is this a big deal? Is this worth taking action on, or should I let it go? Should I overlook an offense? Should I forgive? If so, then genuinely release it 
and move on. There's a, a book that uh, was written by General George Patton. It's, it's called Patton's Principles for Managers Who Mean It. And he says this, one of his laws in the book is, never fight a battle where you don't gain anything by winning. And I think, man, how often do we spout off in anger? Do we go confrontational mode, head to head, with somebody else over something so tiny and something so stupid? And it puts us in a no-win situation where everybody loses. There have been times when uh, Tina and I have gotten in arguments over the stupidest things, and we are passionately arguing our points of view, and we're the, the power level's going up and up and up, and your blood pressure's going up and up and up, right? It's, it's getting a little louder and a little louder and a little louder until we get to a point where we're both so frustrated, so angry at each other, and for whatever reason, we kind of get to an impasse, and so we both kind of stop, and we're, you know, your nostrils will flare in, and you're, I mean, you're like mad, and you're thinking, and all this kind of stuff, and, and you kind of sit there for a couple of minutes, and, and all of a sudden, you know, your blood pressure starts going down and your, the tension in the room starts going down and one or the other of us will start laughing because it was the stupidest thing in the world. You're like, we, what was I so mad at? Like, what in, what in the world was I ready to go to war over this little thing? Like, really? Was this really about my socks not being in the hamper? Right? Or like, you know, whatever. I mean, you're like, really? Like, that's, that's what we're going to war over? Sometimes if just hit the pause button and step back, instead of going to war, you can be like, you know what, this isn't a big thing, and we can overlook offenses. We can say, you know what, it's really not that, it's not worth arguing, that's not worth me being angry over, that's not worth me going to war with my wife over, right? I might win, but I would destroy the relationship. What is the point of that? It's a lose-lose situation. And God says, it is to one's glory to overlook an offense. There are some times when if we can hit the pause button and step back, we can say, you know what? That's not a big deal. I can easily let it go. Now, I will say this as well. There are times when, when something has been pointed out, when our dander has gotten up, when whatever, when there are times where we should do something about it, right? If if, if I'm angry and underneath my anger is a frustration and a, a discontent with the way my marriage is, say, I'm not, I don't have a very good marriage. If that's what's under, and I'm mad about it. You know, you should be mad about that. You should take action on that. I don't mean that you should blow up at your spouse. I don't mean that you should go rip them down. But should you take action on that if that's, if that's what you're feeling underneath? Absolutely. What would action look like? It could look like counseling. It could like look like maybe we start praying together. Maybe we start connecting with God together and filling up some of the emptiness in our souls. Maybe we allow God to transform us so that our marriage heads in a good direction. Right? I mean, there's things that you can take action on that you should take action on. If I'm angry about the tone in my home with my kids, if I'm upset about the way things don't get done or the disrespect or the whatever, there could be something legitimate under that. But instead of powering up and blasting your kids to kingdom come, right, which is going to do no good to anybody, maybe we back down and we think through that and think, well, maybe there's some disciplinary, some loving disciplinary actions that need to be said. Maybe there's some boundaries that need to be in place in our homes that are not. Maybe, maybe we as parents have gotten so lax that the kids are really running the house. And maybe, maybe the appropriate action is that I need to do something different. If your roommate is driving you nuts and there's constant chaos and commotion going on back and forth, it could be that underneath there, there's some legitimate concerns that need to be calmly addressed. Not when you're angry, not when you're ready to blast them, but maybe there's some action that needs to get taken to resolve. And so the wise person hits the pause button, is able to step back, consider that, consider what, what's going on in my own soul, what needs to happen, and then moves forward in wisdom. Do I, do I overlook the offense? Is it something little? Is it more about me? Is it more about what's happening in my own life, in my own soul? If so, let me forgive, forgive and you know, move on. Is it something that needs to be addressed? Is it, is it something important that calmly, lovingly needs to get dealt with and then take action? One, one more, I'll say this real quick. 
says this, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man or a wise woman keeps themselves under control. And I love the, the image that the keeps himself under control. That, that image there is actually a picture of a, a bit in the mouth of a horse, right? It's sort of a picture of pulling back and saying, whoa, right? I mean, it's that kind of thing. Sometimes we can get galloping full on, right? And we're heading in a direction towards anger. And, and, and God says, boy, pull back the reins on that sucker. Pull back that bit in the, in the, the mouth of the horse and slow down a little bit. The wise person keeps themselves under control. That's the first one. Second one, we'll go ahead. So the first one, reflect before you react. The second one is very close, closely related. We won't take much time on it. It's restrain your remarks. This one have, has to do with the power of the tongue, right? Uh, when we get angry, man, sometimes we just let it fly. And we do so much damage. And again, there's a ton of Proverbs that talk about this. Proverbs 15 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs it up. And it's true. We've experienced this, haven't we? Somebody comes in and they are amped up and they are charged and they say something. It's sort of like the Seabiscuit clip, right? We are we rocked back for a second and then we're like, Roar! I mean, that's what we do. And if we respond with a harsh word, what happens to, what happens to that argument? What happens to that anger? Woo! And we're upward spiral, right? We're getting more powered up and more powered, more angry, louder and louder and louder. But a gentle word, if, 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 if we are able to, when we are able to, under God's control, right? When we're able to, to offer a kind word or a powered down response, it changes the whole atmosphere of the conflict. And it, it takes the power out of it. We're able to step back. A gentle word turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. And man, it's true. Boy, is that true in our lives. Is that true in my life? I've seen it over and over and over again. We can do so much damage out of anger. And instead, God said, why would you, would you learn to hold? Pull back, the, pull back the reins on your tongue a little bit that way as well. Proverbs 16, 32 puts it this way. It says, better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. It's better for a man or woman who control his or her, who can control his or her temper than to be one who rules or reigns or conquers cities. It's of great worth, you're saying, to be in control. Hold your tongue. Proverbs 21, 23 says, those who guard their mouths and their tongues keep themselves from calamity. Man, I'll tell you what, I wish I could tattoo that on the inside of my eyelids sometimes. Don't you think that'd be great? If you can control, you'll save yourself from calamity. I would like to save myself from calamity. How about you? <laughs> I mean, I think it's true because when we, again, when we spout off right away, oh, just wishing you could get that back and there's nothing you can do. Nobody has ever been sorry for words that they didn't say when they were angry. But I'll tell you what, the opposite is true. People are sorry all the time for stuff that got said, for words that came out of their mouths when they were angry and they could never get them back. So God says, would you, would you keep a check on your tongue? When we are angry, it would do us such a service. And again, learning to pause, learning to close our lips and pray, turn to God, think before we respond. Third thing is this. Uh, I'll say release your anger, and I don't mean that in the negative way. <laughs> I mean this in the positive way. I'm talking about the burden of anger. If you have, you or I have really been wronged, or there has been injustice committed against you or towards you or whatever, first of all, of course, follow the biblical example. If you have been sinned on, you know what the biblical example is? Matthew 18 kind of stuff, right? You go to the person, you seek reconciliation, you seek restoration, you try to talk it through. You don't go in powered up, you don't go in ready to blast, you don't go in ready to, to, to say harsh words, but you go in humbly saying, you know, I value this relationship. I've, I was hurt by this, and I just wanted to be able to talk it through so that we can be restored. That is always the path we need to take. As Christ followers, right, as the church this is the model for how we are to interact with one another because will we hurt each other? Will words get said in anger? Will things happen sometimes when we step on each other's toes? Absolutely. Will we misunderstand one another? Absolutely. So that's the first step is go to that person, seek restoration. But the Bible also says as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people, with all men, with all women. There are some instances, there are some times 
when we've gone to them, when we have sought reconciliation, where our desire is to be restored to that person and it just can't happen. And in those instances, I think the, the, the truth of God's word, rather than holding on to that anger, rather than rehearsing it and playing it over and over and over in our brains and just letting that swell up in us and consume us, rather than holding on to the anger, God's truth, God's wisdom is to release it, is to forgive the other person. And then I don't know what it is. I, I mean, I think all of us experience this sometimes, but we kind of hold on to it longer than we should. We kind of lean into it. And there's something weird in us that we think that somehow it, it's going to give them what they deserve, right? Like this is going to hurt them by hanging on to the anger. Like I'm going to show them, right? I mean, I'm going to be all ready to go off. So the second that I have opportunity, I'm going to blast them or something. It's ridiculous, right? It really is. It's like I, I remember hearing one time, I have no idea who said it. It's been attributed to like 50 different people. But uh, they, they said, you know, holding on to anger is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die, right? Like, it's ridiculous. If you drink poison, who's it going to affect? You, right? It's going to affect It's going to affect ourselves. Holding on to anger is like that. I read a, a study one time uh, from a bunch of medical doctors that, again, this is an estimation, but they were guessing. They said, you know what? Maybe as high as 80% of people in the hospitals today, they said, could go home if they could get rid of the guilt and the anger and the bitterness that comes from them. And it's, 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 it would be transformational. People could walk out the doors of hospitals if they could get rid of, if they could be freed from that stuff of the past, if they could let it go. If they and we can learn to offer forgiveness and grace and receive that forgiveness and grace ourselves. When we don't, when we need to choose to hold on to that anger, our stomachs and our blood pressures keep score, don't they? It has impact on us physically. It has impact on, our, on us relationally. It has impact on us even spiritually. There's a whole host of scriptures I can use for this. I'll tell you this one in particular has been going over and over and over in my brain the last three, four weeks. I've been playing it and replaying it and just trying to grab a hold of it. But this is straight from the mouth of Jesus, where he's talking about how to deal with other people that have wronged us, how to deal with other people maybe that hate us, how to deal with other people like this. He says this, Jesus talking, he says, love your enemies. Now, some of us have heard this before, but think about that for a second. Jesus, this is Jesus' response. Hey, do you hang on to anger? Do you get even with them? Do you blast them? Do you blast them out of their mouth? I mean, how do you deal with these people? He says, I tell you, love your enemies and do good to them. Lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked too. Be merciful just as your Father is merciful. Don't judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. I have to say challenging words straight from the lips of Jesus, aren't they? I mean, there's something there's something that's disconcerting about it a little bit for me. It says, forgive others and you will be forgiven. Right? Give and it will be given to you. The way you judge others is the way you will be judged. Do you hear that? I mean, like, there's, there's a little bit of this that should make us go gulp. Right? Like, a little bit of this is like, oh, what he's saying here, right? What he's saying, let's, don't hang on to anger. Don't be rich. Don't be doing this kind of stuff. He's saying it's to be gracious like your father. Would you release people? Would you forgive people? Would you show them love the way that God has shown love to you even though you don't deserve it? The way he has forgiven you even when you've turned your back on him. Would you forgive others that? Would you learn to be merciful the way he has been merciful to you. You know, there's some of us here that have probably been holding on to and carrying around anger and bitterness and unresolved stuff in our own hearts and souls. And more than anything else today, we need to release it. 
We need to forgive other people. We need to bend our knee before the Father this morning, ask for his forgiveness, receive his grace afresh, and then release those that are around us. We've been carrying around that poison and that weight on our shoulders. And all the while, Jesus is saying, no, I came so that you could be free. Would you let that go? Would you restore what you can and would you release the rest? Would you release your anger? Would you put it down? It takes us to the last one. Um, I just said, boy, revive your relationship with God. I read the most interesting article this week. It's from a few years ago, and it was in, uh, I think it's called the Times of London. It was uh, an article that was written by an atheist reporter called Matthew Paris. And uh, it was a fascinating article. The title of his column was, As an Atheist, I Truly Believe That Africa Needs God. See that? It was, it was an awesome article. I have to say, you should look it up, Google it. Uh, Matthew Paris, you can go and, and read this kind of thing. The guy is a... Is a devout atheist. He grew up in Africa, and he, is, he watched um, over the period of decades um, Christian missionaries that came into the culture and, uh, and brought the message and the hope and the transform, transforming power of God in, in the message of the gospel, right? Jesus Christ. And, uh, and he's watched the transformation. He said, even in the article, he says, you know, at first, I was, I was just convinced it was just the, the acts of kindness. That's the only thing that was making a difference. It was the money they were infusing. It was putting food on the – that's the only kind of thing that's happening. So he said, but you know what? I've watched this over the course of decades, and even though – I mean, in his own words, he's like, I hate to admit it. I have fought against it. He's like, it's not that because he watched other uh, NGOs come into the country. He said that the, the results are not the same. In fact, let me read this quote if I can find it here. This is great. He says, uh, I've come to a conclusion that staggers me. The impact of these missionaries with their message of Jesus Christ and its redemptive foundation seems to be the only thing that has effectively worked to change the hearts of people and to transform their hostility towards one another into love. He says in Africa, and I would argue true Christianity, but he says in Africa, Christianity changes people's hearts. It brings spiritual transformation. He says the rebirth is real and the change is good. It's an amazing article. He's basically saying the hope for humanity, the hope for war-torn countries where anger and you know, war has been the norm for generations, the only hope for marriages, the only hope for humanity, and the only hope for us in dealing with anger and injustice Hope to find freedom and healing and restoration. He says that hope is found in Jesus Christ, this atheist says. The only hope for the world, the only hope for transformation, the only hope for relationships is found in Jesus. And can I just say, if that's what Mr. Atheist Boy is saying, that is, that is totally what this book says, right? Our, the real hope for us, to be honest, if we are just trying to work, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, if we are just trying to work and be good enough and bring about transformation in terms of dealing with our anger on our own, to be honest, we're probably going to have pretty limited results. Because the hope for you and the hope for me in dealing with anger, in seeing relationships restored, that hope is founded on Christ coming into our lives, into our worlds, into our relationships, but, but starting with into me. And making me new. It, it, it starts with, it begins with him coming in and rescuing me from my sin. And taking away my heart of stone and my self-centeredness and my everything else. And him instead giving me a heart like his. Him instead pouring his love and his forgiveness and his grace on me and teaching me and teaching you how to treat others the same way. Does that happen instantaneously? I would say yes and no, right? Does that happen right away? Yeah, it does happen right away. But it's also something that we learn to walk in day after day after day after day. As we walk with him, we will bear fruit. The Bible says fruit like love and joy and peace and on and on. You with me? I think sometimes, probably all the time, what we need more than anything is for God to revive our own soul for us to open up our hearts and our lives.
to him first and foremost in Christ. She says, I need you. You are what I need. You are what I long for. I have seen time and time again uh, uh, us go, uh, people go to the wrong kind of places, right? And when, when their souls are empty, and that's the real issue, their anger comes out expressed towards other people. It, it's really a dis disequilibrium in their own soul. I'm getting ahead of myself, so let me let me jump to a couple other of these verses that I'm just going to hit for this point, and we'll kind of wrap up for the day. Proverbs 14 says this, the wise fear the Lord and shun evil. The wise fear or honor the Lord and shun evil, but a fool is hot-headed and yet feels secure. The wise man or woman turns to the Lord first to find a baby. James 4, 1 through 3, Three puts it this way. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires to battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, and so you quarrel and fight. So you fools. You don't have because you don't ask God, and when you do ask God, you don't receive it because you ask with wrong motives that you can get, uh, you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. Fascinating. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Isn't it that, isn't it from unmet desires that war within you? Isn't it from those unmet kinds of uh, desires and unsettled soul kind of things that are going on with you? He says, you fools, they are unmet because you haven't yet turned to God to find what you need. You haven't quite turned to God. If we're not happy and filled, if we're not experiencing great purpose and joy in life, does that have to do with your kids? Does that have anything to do with the paper towel dispenser? Or could it be that something is awry in our own souls? Is it really our boss's fault or are they to blame? Is it really the people at the credit card company? Is it because of your spouse hasn't carried enough weight in the home? Is that the root cause of it all? Or is that just the symptom of the hour? Because there is a deeper need. There is something deeper going on in us. Something that stems from the longing and unsettled nature of our own souls. The Bible makes it pretty clear that what we need to do is to turn first to him, and we need to have our hearts and our souls revived. We need to have a new heart put inside of us through Christ. We need to experience that new life. We need to learn to walk with him and find the freedom and the joy and the new life that he has for us. Friends, I don't know where you're at with God today. I'm not sure what he might be saying to you or speaking to you about this whole issue of anger. Maybe this whole God thing is new to you and it's kind of pegging your weird meter or whatever. And uh, maybe for you today, maybe some application is for you to check this Jesus guy out for yourself. See if maybe uh, there's not more to this than what you originally anticipated. Maybe you need to go with us on our 40-day uh, journey here starting a couple weeks of reading through the book of Luke and open up the pages of that book and start saying, is this Jesus guy, and what is what does he really have in store for me and for my life? Is he really what my soul craves? Is it does he really want to? Is he able to revive my own heart and my own soul and to do a work in my life that makes everything make sense? If you never checked him out before, friends, I'd encourage you to do it. Take that journey with us. Maybe that's the the action step for you today. Maybe the truth be told, anger has gotten the better of you time and time and time again. And maybe you carry around guilt and shame and a sense of hopelessness because your, because your anger has done tremendous damage. And maybe today you need to, be, to hear and be reminded that through Christ there is tremendous forgiveness. There is tremendous hope for you. There's a second chance awaiting you today if you'll turn to him and receive it. If you'll turn to him, open up your heart and your life to him, invite him in and say, Jesus, I need you. Would you come and wash me? Would you come and forgive me? Would you come and make me new and lead me from this point forward? I am yours. Maybe there's been damage that has been done to relationships. You know words or actions or whatever have come out of your mouth, and they have done tremendous destruction. Maybe today God is prompting you and saying, you know, before you put your head on the pillow tonight, why don't you go to that other person? And why don't you leave with, I'm so sorry. Maybe you need to go to them and seek reconciliation and restoration. Maybe the damage has been done to you, and maybe today God is prompting you to say, it's time to let it go. Would you forgive as Christ has forgiven you? Would you let that go? I don't know, maybe 
there's some of this practical stuff that God's prompting you on and saying, you need to put these into practice in your life. Maybe you need to pause and reflect before you react. Maybe you need to practice uh, hitting the pause button, button and stepping back and saying, what's going on in my own heart, in my own soul? Or maybe you need to just restrain your remarks and clamp your lips and, uh, and create some space. I don't know what God's saying to you, friends, but I'll tell you what, this is the path to life. This is the path where relationships flourish. This is the path uh, to dealing with our anger, to taking control of our anger before it takes control of us. Let's close in prayer. Father, we just uh, want to start out this morning just proclaiming and crying out, we need you, Jesus. Would you come and revive us? There's so many times that we have blown it, God, so many times that we have reacted in anger and done damage, Lord. church would be people um, that learn to walk with you, even in this anger, in this area of anger, God, that we would uh, learn to, to follow you and to keep in step with you. I pray that we would be people who uh, seek restoration and healing in our relationships, that are quick to go to others and say, I'm so sorry, and quick to forgive and to overlook offenses as well. I pray that we could be Merciful, to become merciful and forgiving as you are. Lord, I pray that you would prompt us to put this stuff into practice this week as we, as we go about our days. If there are family members or co-workers or friends or whoever that we need to go to and ask for forgiveness, I pray that you would be clear and that we would have hearts and lives that are ready to respond There's ways that with our words or actions we can uh, spread your mercy and forgiveness to others. God, I pray, come, come, Lord Jesus, come and have your way. Even if there's some of this that we just need to put into practice, whether it be hitting the pause button, clamping our lips, seeking you first, and turning to you, God, just teach us to teach us to thrive. I pray that our anger would not lead to danger. Ourselves to you afresh. We just pray, come on.